What's going on, guys? It's your boy, Chris. I have a super, super special episode for you all today. Oh, by the way, we are growing so fast. So thank you guys so much for sharing and subscribing. I love you guys. Okay, so this week's episode is with Johnny FD. You can find his blog at johnnyfd.com. That's spelled J-O-H-N-N-Y-F-D.com. I've been reading this guy's blog for over 10 years. He was one of my inspirations to live the four-hour workweek lifestyle way back in the day. I used to read his blog when he first moved out to Thailand to be a scuba diver, and then he transitioned into Muay Thai, got a cup hole, professional fights under his belt, and then he transitioned into what he is now. Johnny is arguably the most well-known digital nomad in the whole scene. That comes with haters, by the way, and we talk about what he thinks about his haters and why I like them. By the way, if you don't know what a digital nomad is, a digital nomad is a person that can live and work anywhere in the world as long as you have a laptop and internet connection. Oftentimes, it'll be someone with an internet business like e-commerce or a freelancer that can provide their services from anywhere in the world, such as digital marketing, copywriting, video editing, that kind of thing. You can be anywhere. You can be on the beach. Johnny's blog shares his experiences as a digital nomad and is a huge learning resource for those who want to live that lifestyle. He travels the world from city to city, just hanging out, working from co-working spaces, drinking coffee, living the life. He's the founder of the Nomad Summit, which is an annual digital nomad conference and also hosts the Travel Like a Boss podcast. You guys should check that out. I'm super proud of Johnny and the person he has become. I used to always look up to him, and he is one of my inspirations for who I am today. We go super deep in this episode, and we don't just talk about his life story. As soon as we start the interview, he told me he doesn't want to do just the regular interview he's done over and over. So instead, we talk about some sensitive, never-before-heard issues that he's never been public about. We talk about his struggles growing up as an Asian guy in America, his identity and insecurity struggles what it's like dealing with his haters and why I like them, his biggest regret in life, and then we end with some straight knowledge bombs that are seriously packed with value. I love the advice that he gives to the young guys. I'm so excited to release this episode, and I think you guys are going to love it. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, share, leave a five-star review so people can find this podcast, and let's get right into it. Thanks, guys. Johnny, yes, sir. How you doing, buddy? Hold on, let me. Good, man. Can you hear this okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Where are you? Are you in uh, Kiev? Nope, I'm in Tbilisi, in Georgia. Okay. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm excited to do this. Let's. Bro, I'm excited to have you on, Johnny. I don't know if you remember this, but we we met each other. No, 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 no. Let's talk about on the show. Let's let's save everything for the show. I uh, sure. Man, okay, so it's sure. recording. Okay, Johnny. So what's going on? What's how's how's Georgia? I've never been there. Is, is this a show? Are we recording already? Uh, yeah, it's kind of. A, I guess you know I can edit some things here and there, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Let's officially start right now. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So how's Georgia? I've never been there before. Tbilisi, Georgia, like Republic of Georgia, is. I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, I've only been here for four days. I've seen the mountains. I've been on a walking tour. I ate a lot of good food, drank a lot of good wine. 
it's like an interesting place. I'd have to spend more time here to really get to know it. And that's why I like spending a good month in each city uh, to really understand it. But so far, it's so it's good. Okay. Yeah. So if you go on your blog, you have all these different locations that you've been to. You got to have a favorite one. What's your favorite one? I don't have a favorite one. It used to be Thailand. And I would say it's still Thailand because it's the one place I've been back every year for the last 10 years since I started traveling. But there's something special in every place. I, I think there's very few places. I can't even, honestly, I can't even think of a place where I was like, oh, I, you know, I didn't enjoy my time there because I think every single place has something you can learn from it, something that's really unique. And it's not that I would go back everywhere, but I'm glad I went. And I, and I really feel like we are in the very first generation ever to be able to do this. You know, our parents, you know, like my parents flew from Taiwan to the US once and they did it with, you know, it was a big, big journey. It was them like immigrating to the US. So they brought like blankets with them. They brought like all their luggage. They brought all their money and it was a big deal for us to be able to just go, you know, to Georgia or to, Eastern Europe or to Thailand, you know, just, just to go, it really is special. And I think that's why I do it is because I feel silly not taking advantage of this opportunity if, if I, you know, because we can. Yeah, for sure. I know exactly what you mean. I think that the whole digital nomad remote work is growing so fast and it's just going to get bigger and bigger. Even with tech companies now, more and more employees, they can work remotely. There's tools like Slack, there's Skype, and all these different tools where everyone can communicate. And so I feel like this digital nomad remote thing is going to grow so much more bigger in the future. Yeah. And the thing is, not everybody needs to be their own entrepreneur or join like the typical digital nomad movement where we're just moving around all the time. Even if you have a good corporate job, let's say you work in New York and you have a great job, you know, you, you and you just like your life back home, it doesn't mean you have to quit your job, live out of a suitcase and just travel full-time like the typical nomad does. I think even if you just have a normal job, what you should do is negotiate with your boss and say, hey, instead of me going on a one or two week vacation, I want to continue working. Let me work remotely for one month of the year you know, or two months of the year. And there's almost no reason why with almost any job, you can't do that. And I think that's kind of a nice thing is going somewhere, you know, maybe for two months during the summer or two months during the winter or maybe both and just working remotely at, at your current job. So how long have you been doing this? I know it's been a very, very long time, but how long have you considered yourself a digital nomad? Yeah, well, it's crazy because I read the four-hour work week at the end of 2007 and I went on a three-week trip to Thailand. And it was my, it was it like, it was a big deal to go just for three weeks. You know, I really thought my my world would end my like my finances would be disheveled. And now it's been 10 years, actually, I guess 11 years. And it feels like, I don't know, it feels like second nature. Like it feels like it wasn't really that big of a deal, but I forget that there were struggles during those 11 years. And what makes it actually worse is I remember talking to my mom and having her say, like, oh, no, I always thought, I always, you know, encouraged you to go travel. I always thought like, oh yeah, you should go be your own boss. And I specifically remember her being very upset when I wanted to quit my job and move to Thailand. And luckily, my sister, 
remembered it. She's like, no, like mom was pissed. She hung up on you. She didn't, she didn't talk to you for weeks. And I normally talk to my mom at least once a week. She was really mad. And I think this is what they call gas, gaslighting, where they try to like distort your reality. But I don't think she did it on purpose. I think, you know, my mom was just worried and she wants to, in her mind, think that she was always there for me and always excited for me to travel. But it wasn't until, you know, after seven years of me going through the struggles of figuring it out, does she, does she like look back and be like, oh yeah, you know, I, I was always there encouraging you. Yeah, I think that's very typical of Asian parents because they want us to go into a stable career. For example, doctor, lawyer, accountant, and they want us to be on that stable career path. And that's why they push us into that. So I think because we do something so different, that's quite scary to them. Yeah, especially when I started 11 years ago, it was really new. Like nobody had done it. Literally, Tim Ferriss had did it. And then, you know, I'm sure other people did it, but no one really talked about it. It wasn't popular. Now it seems like everybody travels a lot. Everyone works on online and it's a lot easier. But actually, before we get to that, because I don't want this to be kind of the, the same interview that I've given so many times. I really want this interview to be very specific to the badass Asian dudes and kind of growing up because I was thinking about this a lot. And I was, I was really looking forward to coming on because I never talk about being Asian or the struggles of being Asian. And part of it is because I'm trying to not have that be something holding me back. I don't want that to be a negative. I assume people know I'm Asian anyways, when they see me and I like actually it was funny. I think people that just <laughs> my podcast sometimes they don't even realize, you know, or they think I'm mixed, or they think you know I'm some you know Pacific Island or Samoan or whatever it is. But you know, I'm pretty much like ninety five percent Chinese. I think I'm part Korean, part Mongolian from my twenty three and Me. But I'm, I'm basically my my dad grew up in summer. I think I don't know, somewhere in China. No, I think northern China. And my mom grew up in Taiwan. My dad moved to Taiwan when he was like two. So basically, my parents are both Taiwanese, and I grew up in the U.S. And the struggle is real. Like, I, I don't want, you know, I think a lot of people will bypass that. And even during those the first six episodes of your podcast, I was really hoping that people would dive in deep on kind of the struggles growing up. Okay. And Johnny, I think it was just very yeah. briefly mentioned. Yeah, okay. That's a, that's a really good point. And a lot of people have been messaging me about that. They want me to go deeper and talk more about like the Asian, like male, like struggles. So that is something that a lot of people have been talking about for sure. I think the reason why a lot of people haven't spoken about it is it's something kind of a, it's something that we don't want to talk about, right? Especially sure. once, you, once you've, once you've made it, especially once you've gotten out of the, the crab barrel, you're like, you know what? I made it. Everyone else can figure it out themselves. Or we see sometimes it's counterproductive to talk about it all the time. Like the paper tigers, the people that just bitch about, you know, the struggles of being Asian and they never do anything to improve their life. That is also a big waste of time. I think any extreme is a big waste of time, but I think it is real. So I want this episode, you know, at least uh, this first part of it to really dive in deep. And I guess to start it off today, if anyone, you know, hasn't, Today, I'm very happy. Like, I'm a very, very happy guy. And I'm very like, glad I'm able to say that because it wasn't always the case. Like, as of today, I really know who I am. Um, I travel the world. You know, I make enough money to be able to take care of myself, but also support my parents. I, 
I you know, have had really beautiful girlfriends from all around the world. I'm not shy anymore. I'm not like self-conscious anymore, but it wasn't always like that. Growing up, it was hard. It was really hard. I grew up in San Francisco. And even though half of my school was Asian, they're all from Hong Kong. So they all spoke Cantonese. And even though I was technically Chinese, I didn't speak the same language as them. So culturally, I felt really alienated. I didn't fit in with the white people. I didn't fit in with the black people. I didn't, but I didn't also didn't fit in with the Asian people because it, there was nobody from Taiwan back then. And I actually got mad at my, my parents. I remember saying, like, why did you teach me this useless language, Mandarin, when everyone speaks Cantonese? And little did I know that most of the world actually speaks Cantonese. It was, I mean, Mandarin. It was just like my school. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really similar struggle that most Asian American males face as they're growing up in America or just any Western country. And I think because there is that common struggle, that's the reason why Badass Asian Dudes, the Facebook group has exploded so fast, how it's grown so quickly. I think people just see Badass Asian Dudes and just right away, they understand my mission and what I'm trying to do. And it really resonates with them. I'm, I'm very happy that you started this because I know it's important. And I, and I think it's something that I'm glad is out there now, but I didn't want to start it. I didn't want, like, I didn't want to be the one to dedicate my life to it, but I'm glad someone did it. So I'm really happy that you're doing this. And it's also one of those things where, okay, so, so here's basically my, my, my thoughts on this is I think it's really important for us to kind of go back and understand like, hey, it is a real struggle. Like we do have a lot of barriers as Asian American males, especially like to, to go over a few all the stereotypes, all right? And they're all negative. There's very few positive stereotypes of being an Asian, Asian male. Like for dating, they've done studies showing that for all men, regardless of the, the ethnicity, Asian males have the lowest match score on any online dating app. It's almost a waste of our time to go on Tinder or Bumble or any of these popular apps as like a typical Asian male. Unless you're extremely good looking extremely wealthy or extremely something, you have to really stand out to be able to get a match. And I really tr like tried to think like, no, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Let me, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's blown out of proportion. Maybe it's just Asian guys complaining. So I, I did it as an experiment once. I just used a random white guy's photo just to see like if it would change. And it, like my matches increased literally by like 500 times. And obviously, I didn't go out with any of these girls. I didn't want to waste their time. So I switched it back to mine. And instantly, my, my matches decreased. <laughs> and I was like, man, it's literally like it's, it's a struggle. Like it's hard. It doesn't mean it's not possible for us to, to date. But if we just try to do what like, other people do, it's, it, we're not going to get anywhere. We have to be better. Yeah, agreed. And... I think the reason why people don't want to talk about it is because it's a very, very sensitive issue. And just being public about something like this, you just seem bitter, you know? So I feel like I'm in a really good place to do a project like this because it's it's not coming from a mindset of scarcity or bitterness. I just think that it's a really important issue. And 
yeah, like I think that it's it's just a very hard topic to talk about in public. Yeah, and honestly, it's largely a huge waste of time. I, I went through many many years of, you know, of participating in kind of the Asian, you know. Uh, paper tiger movement or the Asian pride movement, and it never got anywhere. Like it just people complaining and, and bitching, and that's when I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing. And this is actually when I started meeting a lot of really successful Asian guys, mm-hmm. like who are successful either financially or in their dating life or just kind of in life in general. And there's really only two. There's only two categories. One is the ones that like become really, really successful within the Asian realm. So maybe they work, you know, primarily with other Asian people. They date, you know, just Asian girls, and they become really successful in that social circle. You know, they can become a top businessman and top, you know, social status guy in Hong Kong or in Korea, or wherever it is. And the other side are the people who basically, I don't want to say sell out because you know it's like. You know, maybe that's not their their motive, but basically they have they basically cut all ties from Asian the Asian culture. You know, they just become, you know, the the whitewashed Asian guy who maybe he's a surfer guy, maybe he's like, you know, just the cool guy that happens to be Asian but has all white friends or you know lives in Europe or Johnny. I think that was me, like the second one, like the whitewashed Asian dude, just that one Asian guy amongst the white group of friends. And yeah, that was me. And I think that during those kind of days, like I had the mindset like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm doing well, like who cares about like the other Asian dudes. But now I feel way different. I think I just, I want all Asian dudes to do well, you know? And I don't, this might be kind of weird, but like also just for my future son, like if I have like a baby, like a son or something like that, like I want him to be equal. Yeah, I, I want all Asian dudes to have the chance to succeed. I don't want anyone. Kind of, I'm kind of glad that we have to struggle a bit because I think it really rises the cream to the top. You know, it really builds character for us struggling. But at the same time, I want everyone to have a path, something that actually works. So I think that's what I really want to dedicate this episode to, is because out of every single like Asian guy out there, I can I can tell you right now that I'm I made probably either the most mistakes or I'm like one of the ones that like fucked up the most, like in so many ways where I'm surprised I never landed in jail or killed myself or like got killed or, you know, I've done so many stupid things. I've taken so many big risks in my life and somehow it's all worked out. And I actually have a fairly normal life now. I'm, you know, uh, fairly successful and I have like, I'm just like a normal guy now, but man, I like made every mistake possible to, I guess to go over a couple of them growing up. So I went through a bunch of phases, right? The very first phase was watching these like these Hong Kong gangster movies. It's called Guwak Zai, which means young and dangerous. And that was like the godfather of, you know, let's say the Italian godfather. It's like the Chinese godfather of, based in Hong Kong. Have you seen any of these by, by chance? No, I haven't seen them. No. They are so good. I, I don't know like how good they are now or how related, relatable they are to like non-Chinese people. But to me, I was like, okay, this is the Bible. This is who I want to be. Unfortunately, if you've, if anyone's watched any of these catchy movies, the plot is always the same. There's this kind of gang of like, you know, wannabe hardcore Chinese guys who only the leader gets the hot girl. 
And even then, like, it's always the struggle. It's never just like this, like normal relationship. It's always like him, like needing to like fight, fight for her, or, you know, kill for her or something. So in my mind, that's, that's what it took. Right. And when I was like 15, I like, luckily I didn't actually join, but I started hanging out with these Chinatown, you know, Hong Kong gangster guys. And I wanted to be like them because the top guy had a hot girlfriend and yeah. all the other guys, we would just like go around, you know, carry like butterfly knives with us. And we're just like, yeah, like finally nobody's gonna mess with us. We're like, we're tough now. And a big part of it was just identity. You know, I always felt like um, I got picked on because I was, I was different, right? Like when I would ride the bus to and from school, I would get pickpocketed. Like I would not pickpocket. I would literally just get robbed by all the black guys because there was like eight of them or 12, 12 of them. And I'm like, the, there's, even though there was 12 Asian guys, none of us ever stood up for each other. So if someone's getting robbed, we just like look the other way. And that's our culture growing up is like, don't rock the boat. And I know a lot of that comes from, you know, growing up in, you know, communist countries like in China or kind of the Asian mentality where you're like, hey, don't rock the boat because your whole family is going to get in trouble. So just look the other way. But here, especially in the US, but or just modern, just, like we have to look out for each other. I, I did some reading about Asian culture and like where that comes from. That comes from the Confucianism culture. You know, like not rocking the boat, staying in line, listening to authority. And then when you look at when you look at American culture, you have phrases like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know, so like if you are if you're the loud one, if you're like out there, that's the one that will get the most attention. But in Asian culture, it's the complete opposite. Yeah. So that was that was hard because I mean, growing up, you know, I, I don't have an older brother. I don't have any brothers. I just have an older sister. My dad was always working. And even if he wanted to, he didn't know how to teach me how to be like a cool American guy. You know, he can, he's like, just go to school, get good grades, like, shut up. Don't, don't make trouble. And, you know, so I basically grew up like a lot of other Asian guys, you know, growing, you know, being taught by my mom and my sister. And that doesn't help, you know, like become a, just like the being, you know, being a man. And I think like, a lot of people don't understand what it takes to grow up as being just a normal Asian American man. And hopefully this, it was just one generation, you know, where now we'll be, we'll be able to teach our kids better, but for a big, you know, a whole generation of people, like we grew up like raised by our moms, raised by, you know, we had no role models, like who's going to look up to like Jackie Chan or something that never, ever kissed a girl on, on screen. It, it's just, it wasn't a, there was no good role models. Yeah. That's what I want this podcast to be. I want to interview people who are good role models, who have done something with their lives. And so that's why it's called Badass Asian Dude. So like if you're someone that's kind of lost, like doesn't know, doesn't have like any inspiration, like you can listen to these podcasts and see like what other Asian dudes have done. Yeah. And I would say in, in my case, don't do what I did, but like learn from the mistakes I made and just do the good things that I've done now. So, yeah. you know, don't join an Asian gang. Um, okay. So what was, what was after the Asian gang gangster phase? By the way, I think we all had the Asian gangster phase. My screen name back in the day was KPX little gangsta. Yeah. I had the, I had the <laughs> spiky hair, like the baggy jeans. I think we all had that gangster phase, but after the gangster phase, what was next after that? 
I mean, there, man, there were like for a while, you know, I wish I was black, you know, for a while, I was, wished I was white. For even for a while, I wish I was Mexican. Like it's, I really just had struggle trying to figure out what my identity was. You know, um, I think the first time I really was truly kind of happy was when I started going to raves, like these underground parties and dropping ecstasy every other weekend. And luckily oh, yeah. I was smart enough to not do it every weekend, but just like to skip a week so my brain can recover. And I was smart enough to only take one pill, you know, every time I went. But it was like a few yeah. years of my life. It was that could have been really bad, you know. <laughs> Those are fun though. The raves are yeah, so fun. It was definitely a lot of fun, but man, like I mean the fact that like my parents either either didn't notice or didn't or tried to I mean I'm sure they noticed. They tried to like turn the other like the other way when I would go out and come back at like six in the morning. I would have like spray painted purple spiky hair and like I was wearing this crazy clothes. It was just, I mean, it was definitely a fun like three years of my life, but, and I think that was the first time I really felt like I found an identity, you know, and the identity was a raver, right? Maybe I could have taken that and become like a DJ or a club promoter or something, but it was at least for a while I felt like I had joined something. And since then I had joined so many different, you know, random phases, I guess. But I remember ever since I was pretty young, I was probably like 14 when I was growing up, I was going through like the adolescence phase and I wanted to have a girlfriend. And I remember every guy, like you know, all my, my crew of friends, all the guys, like no, no one ever talked about girls, but then one day, like everybody had a girlfriend. And I had no idea how it happened. And I thought I was just kind of left. I, I felt like left out. And all of a sudden, I had to like catch up. You know, I'm sure they were all like secretly talking to girls on the side. You know, maybe like all of them had their first kiss by the time they were 10 or something. Like, you know, innocently. But I just never even spoken to a girl really until I was 15. And I was like, oh, no. Like, how do I get a girlfriend? And I couldn't ask my parents. I couldn't, you know, I didn't have any role models. I didn't know where to look. So it was so awkward. It was like the, the most awkward three years of my life. And I remember probably five years ago, I found a diary in my old room in San Francisco and I was reading through it and I didn't recognize their handwriting. So I was like, who's this idiot that wrote about like talking to this girl? And I was like laughing at it. And I realized that was my diary. <laughs> that's hilarious. That, I think that's, I love looking at my old diaries just because like you can walk through memory lane. Now, when you look at it, it's a little cringy, but then I love that you have that, those memories. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. But at the same time, I think I was so embarrassed. I'm pretty sure I like burned it. Like even growing up, like I was always kind of the big Asian guy. And, you know, I remember as a kid, I was like a fat kid. And I remember going through one day and being so embarrassed that I actually cut up or like threw away all the photos of me as a kid. So now like it sucks. I can't even find any photos of me like as a, as a child anymore from like eight years old to like 15 or something. And it was a big part of me that was just like really embarrassed with who I was, you know? And even it's funny because even when I was, I think like 17 or 18 and I went on, something called Love Boat, which is this Taiwanese... Oh, I've heard so many good things about Love Boat. Yeah. I'm so, so jealous that you went on that, actually. I'm okay. incredibly jealous. So for those who don't know what it is, 
uh, the country of Taiwan sponsors, and I think they still do it. Yeah, this, they still do it. This like I think four week or you know like month long trip to Taiwan where you just pay your airfare, but everything else is covered, and you live in these dorms with like two hundred other boys and girls your age, and you you know it's a culture trip, but they, they nickname it Love Boat because. That's usually where people hook up for the first time ever because prior to that, they like they never had alone time with with the with the someone of the opposite sex. Yeah, all my Taiwanese friends they always say that love boat was the best time of their lives. You know, because you just party the whole time. That's what I've heard. Yeah, and it's true. Unfortunately for me, it was the loneliest and saddest time of my life. Wow, really. Yeah, I had signed up with my my buddy Mark Chan, and we had agreed to be in the same group because we were best friends. And he was put in Group A, I was in Group B, and I asked him. I said, "Do you want me to? Should I switch to Group A, or do you want to switch to Group B?" And he said, "Oh, I'll switch." And I left it. Turns out he never switched, <laughs> so we were put in separate groups. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was—I don't know—I think I was maybe eighteen or nineteen at the time. But you know, my identity was. You know, fixed up. You know, uh, sports cars. Right? He had a fixed up Integra. I had a fixed up Celica at the time, and our, you know, like everything. All of our hobbies had to do, you know, do with cars and do with like, like you know, just like these kind of Asian gangster things. But when I was there, I like in the first week, I had a really good time. I would sit with a different group every day, get to know people, and I had a blast. But I remember by like the second week. What happened was people started clicking off, like becoming, you know, in their own groups. That's a very Asian thing to like create your own groups. And all of a sudden, instead of everyone wanting to get to know new people, people just wanted to hang out with their five people. And I didn't fit into any of the groups. You know, there's the groups that all they want to do is play basketball, and I never liked that sport. There was groups that just wanted to talk about, you know, anime or whatever it was. And I just I didn't fit in any of the groups. I just, I felt like I was just bouncing around. And by the third week, I I felt like I was completely alone, and I felt so lost. And I remember, like, you know, using a payphone to call my my parents and just crying. Thing like for the I was like nineteen. I was like, I'm so lost. Like I want to go home. Like, and I feel like such a bitch thinking about it now. But I really felt, and I think what it was, it was partially my fault. Where I was so used to being like that. Like I developed this identity of being like that cool guy to like jump around, talk to everyone, but I never learned how to connect and really get to know people and on a deeper level. Hmm. Okay, there's probably a lot of people who feel that way right now, like how you felt back then. So, how do you snap out of that? Like, what is the first step to get out of that kind of position? Now it's a little bit easier where with the internet and meeting, being able to meet people, it's easier to find your 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 crew, your clique. Even if you have a very obscure hobby or interest, relatively easy to find those people now. I think I'm just a very unique person where I don't really fit into most like most mindsets. Like I don't, I don't like the traditional things. But so, I, for example, I, I always thought I didn't like sports because I didn't like baseball, I didn't like basketball, I didn't like football, and those are the three main sports in the U.S. Turns out, I really like UFC and the MMA. I never would have discovered that if it wasn't for the internet. And now, it's easy to find those people who are really into that kind of. Now it's a bit more mainstream, but kind of these obscure sports, you know, whether it's Muay Thai or MMA. 
So I think that's part of it is just recognizing what you like and being really authentic and just knowing who you are and what you like. But also secondly, like just slowing down. I think when I first, you know, like wanted to be cool or get to know girls or get to know people in general, I was I was very scared to be my authentic self and open up. So I got really good at being able to like talk to people and approach people, especially strangers. But I was really bad at creating a genuine connection. I remember if there was a moment of silence, I would get really uncomfortable and really nervous. Now I really like the silence. I think you don't really get to know someone until you can just both be silent for, you know, even a minute, you know, even 30 seconds and be able to just, just to be. And this is what I actually really like about being in Eastern Europe, especially in kind of like Ukraine or the Russian culture, where it's a big test that people do. People don't talk that much here, but they can really read you based on how comfortable you are. And I remember I was at some conference uh, and there was these like Russian guys and I remember going up to them because they had like, you know, these cool guys and they had like the hottest girls with them. And I remember going up to them, just talking to them. And they basically tested me by being like really kind of hard and rude. And then just standing there. And because I didn't take it personally and I kind of just, you know, like I didn't let it phase me. After a few minutes, they're like, hey, you're a cool guy. And they invited me out to hang out with them. <laughs> I think when I was younger, I would have taken that as a huge rejection or kind of just a, mm. an ego killer. And I would have either talked way too much and tried to, you know, keep the kind of a superficial conversation going, or I would have felt defeated and, and, and left. But now I'm just kind of more comfortable with who I am. You know, I can, you know, I'm I'm good at starting and continuing conversations. But I also know when to shut up and just give them a moment to think and to talk, you know, to, to continue the conversation. I'm also okay with them not continuing the conversation and having it end because now I would rather have, and whether this is with a guy or a girl, I'd rather have, give them the opportunity to leave or to end the conversation than to force it to continue. That, that's amazing. Even though we, I've only met you once, I feel like I know you because I've been reading your blog for so long. I feel like I've seen you develop into like so many different things. And even back in the day, like when you went to Thailand and you became like a scuba diver and then you did, you did like MMA, like kickboxing, like fights and stuff like that and started your drop shipping journey. I feel like I've seen all that. You know, so that's crazy to see like how you are and then also just kind of like to like look back and think about like how much you have developed since then. So you want to know the real secret of why, why I did all that? Why? I didn't know who I was and I was trying to figure it out. You know, I think, I mean, there's, I actually wrote a, a blog post on johnnyft.com called like, who is the real Johnny? And I went through a timeline of like, you know, uh, me playing like Magic the Gathering, you know, being really into card games, wanting to be like when I first started blogging in, in college, really into like, you know, cars. When I really got into trying to learn how to pick up girls, when I got into scuba diving or raving or Muay Thai and all the phases. And it was always me trying to figure out who I was. 
and I, a good thing about my personality is I get really excited about things when I first get into it, you know, whether it's, I don't know, playing, playing a new video game or like getting into online business, whatever it is, I get really, really excited. And then I think I have, I have a kind of a, a low attention span because after a few months or maybe a year or two max, I kind of get really tired of it. Maybe I do it too much. Like even with scuba diving, I, I dove every day for like three years and I've calculated almost a thousand dives, which means I spent the equivalent of one month underwater in total. And I almost kind of burnt myself out from it. But it was a really a big requirement for me to, to figure out you know, who I was. And I remember, so with scuba diving, it was the first time that I really loved something so much. And I was like, wow, this is fucking amazing. You know, I remember that my first trip to Thailand, I did all these things, you know, all these tours, right? And it wasn't until my almost last day, I went scuba diving and I thought, wow, this is fucking incredible. Like, why didn't anyone ever tell me this is possible? From that moment, I knew this, this is something that makes me happy that has nothing to do with girls, has nothing to do with, you know, making money or it has nothing to do with like luxury or being cool or being like the cool Asian guy. It was something I just really enjoyed. And I had decided then and there, I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to go back to LA, sell my stuff, get my job. And I'm going to move to Thailand and learn how to be a, a dive instructor or a dive guide. But with even then, like if you look at my photos during that scuba diving years, I was still trying really hard to be cool. For a while, I had, I tried to grow out a, a mohawk. I would dye it like oh, yeah. bright red. So when I'm underwater, I had this like stupid looking mohawk because it wasn't it wasn't thick enough. I would only wear scuba diving, you know, t-shirts like to like so everyone knew I was a diver. You know, I would wear my dive computer with me all the time. And but at the same time, it was good. It was a good search for identity, you know, and it's something I really did enjoy, genuinely enjoy doing. So I don't regret those years, Johnny, and also. That's like really inspiring. That's like so inspiring. It inspired me. Your vlog, like you were talking about four hour work week, like you went scuba diving in Koh Tao. That's why I learned scuba diving in Koh Tao. That's why I was thinking like, dude, I want to live the four hour work week too. You no, know? So that. how, that's crazy, man. You know, to like think about some vlogs that you wrote like so long ago that some other Asian dude that's younger than you was reading that and thinking like, damn, like this is what I want to do too. And I think that's, that was a huge factor that inspired me to become a digital nomad and do all that, go to Thailand, scuba diving, Koh Tao, all that kind of stuff. That's crazy. Nice. I love it, man. And actually, you know, can, can we, how did we meet? Like, can you go over that story? Yeah. Cause I'm in your Facebook group and then you had like a meetup in LA. And so I went to that, but before that, I don't know how I found your blog, but I just did. I think even on on YouTube, you had some videos, stuff like that. So I'd watch your videos and then I saw that you had a blog. So I'd be reading your blog and I've been reading it for such a long time. Okay. Well, cool. Well, I'm glad that, that we connected through that. And I remember that meetup in LA. And it's funny because in LA, all my friends, actually even California, all my friends are Asian. All right. So in the US, all my friends are Asian. But when I'm in Thailand or I'm you know, in Asia, all my friends are white, which is really funny when you look at the photos because it, it should be the opposite. But I think what it was is growing up 
I don't know, in LA, just that's just kind of the way it turned out. Like, wasn't that I was purposely only trying to have Asian friends? And we, we almost, almost always have like the one token white guy who just liked Asian girls or liked Asian culture that would be a part of the group. And his name was always Mike for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, man, that's so funny, man. Just looking back, your blogs were a huge inspiration for me. Even when you started the whole like drop shipping thing and you started becoming very, very open about how much you were making online, that like inspired me. That made me want to bust my ass harder in business. Good. I'm glad. And I'm really happy that I have this personality where I've always wanted to openly share everything. And to be honest, it comes with its downsides, right? It comes with a lot of haters. Oh, for sure. Oh, so many haters, Johnny. You know, and I that must be so hard for you. It used to be, to be honest. I think now I'm, I'm better at it because I know who I am. But it was really, really hard when I was kind of trying to figure out who I, who I was. And here's the thing about haters is they know how to like dig deep. You know, they'll take like the tiniest grain of truth, like whatever stupid thing it is. And then they will blow it completely out of proportion and then make the whole thing sound like, like a big, a big lie, you know? And I've had haters like say all sorts of crazy things about me. And I think now I finally figured out why they do it. Right. It's not that they don't believe what you're saying is possible. It's that they don't want to believe it. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there are people who are out there who are genuinely are like trying to scam people or trying to you know, make things up. Right. But I know that everything that I write is true, you know, and I know that it's possible. I don't think it's easy, but I actually, I don't think I ever really write like saying, oh, it's super easy. Like overnight, you're going to make a bunch of money. Like I always yeah. kind of just share like what I've done. And I think a lot of people don't read all of it. They just kind of scroll down to the big number and they just assume like, oh, okay, like, you know, Johnny says you can make, you know, 20 grand a month overnight. I'm like, no, I never said that. But when you look at this, when you read one blog post and you just scroll down to a big number in your mind, you might be like, okay, this is what he, he's selling. This is what he's saying. And I've learned to ignore those people and just focus on the people who follow the journey for a long time. I, you know, I've had people who follow my, my, my blog since like I had a Zanga back in college and it's shut down now. The website doesn't even exist anymore. You know, and then I had a blog about like my favorite restaurants in Kotal when I was there and that got shut down, you know, and then I had a blog when I was trying to learn pickup thinking that was the, the key to success. And to be honest, a lot of those things I'm glad are mostly off, you know, are mostly gone and so far in the past that it doesn't matter anymore because it's super embarrassing to pull up again. You know? I think it's like the diary. It's like the diary that you found in your room that you opened up and you're like, who the hell is this? Yeah. And the thing is, it's not that I regret going through those stages because I think it's a very valuable lessons. Like if it wasn't for going through those couple of years of wanting to be like this pickup master, right? And hanging out with these guys and going out to Hollywood every, every, pretty much every day and trying to pick up girls, I probably wouldn't have developed the confidence and the social skills to be able to talk to random strangers and be able to, to have the confidence to be able to travel. But what I do regret is kind of the trying to impress other guys. I, I would say that's the biggest, that's the one thing I regret the most is the problem with the pickup community is it's not guys some of it is guys generally trying to help each other and, and, and figure out like how to be better with women. But what you see most of is guys trying to impress other guys. 
And it's not like normal cool guys trying to impress other guys. It's guys who needed to find pickup in the first place, which are normally a bunch of nerds and dorks, like I was, just really bad with women, finally getting a little taste of success, like getting a phone number or finally kissing a girl. And we're like bragging about it and making it like this huge deal. And I think that was kind of the big demise where, unfortunately, it was a bunch of dudes in forums talking to other dudes trying to impress each other. You know, especially as pickup become more of a became more of a business, and it's really sad because I think there's so many valuable things from that to kind of take away as a life skill, like the confidence to be able to approach somebody, whether it's for for sales or for networking or kind of just you know if you see someone's attractive and you want to talk to them, every once you be able to have the confidence to be able to go up you know and ask ask someone on a date. Unfortunately, first off, we were never really taught that. You know, especially as Asian Asian males, you know, I, I, my dad never taught me how to talk to a girl. I, I never had a role model to teach me how to do it. I had to rely on, you know, these other guys who, who also were bad at it to try to figure it out. And what ended up happening was we ended up bragging to each other on how, like, on finding these tips and tricks and these you know, these these kind of tactics, right? And what I regret from that is making it like this making it a game because it, it doesn't it didn't need to be a game it just what you know it, it felt like a video game because all of a sudden we went from being these loser guys that were never able to talk to a girl or getting really badly rejected and hurt by girls and especially as an asian male man i've gotten i've gotten so many hurtful rejections from girls and that both from asian girls and non-asian girls i mean i remember Whenever I would try to talk to, like, date or talk to an Asian girl, even though I was being like a very noble, authentic, kind, genuine guy, I would have girls say, Oh, I don't date Asian guys. Yeah, for sure. And I'm like, What, what do you mean? You're Asian yourself. Yeah. And they're like, No, like, I only date white guys, I only date black guys, I only date Mexican guys. And they would like put me down for even wanting to talk to them, you know? And then I was like, Okay, well, yeah. I can't date Asian girls. Maybe I'll date a, a white girl. And then I would have white girls literally laugh. Like, you know, I would just go up and say like, hi, you know, like, how are you doing? You know? And they would laugh and be like, oh, like, I don't date guys with small dicks. And it would be really hurtful. You know, it'd be really, really hurtful. And I was like, well, who am I supposed to date then? Like, for sure. Yeah. And I, I really was so lost. And I think now it wouldn't affect me as much. But going, growing up and kind of going through that phase you know, being lonely, being desperate, wanting human connection and love and to have a girlfriend. It was so hard. And that's why I went through that stage. And unfortunately, there was, and there probably still isn't like a really good way for guys to learn this stuff without being super cheesy or sleazy about it or having someone just give you really shitty generic advice saying like, oh, just be yourself. Yeah, that was kind of like the pickup world back then. But I feel like the pickup world has changed a lot now. A lot more of it is now about like self-development, confidence, inner game. Like I feel like it's a lot more about like developing yourself and becoming the best person that you can be. If you looked at the that world, like I think you would think it's a lot better. I, I, I really hope so. I mean, to be honest, I haven't looked at it in many years, but I know that the pickup world kind of splintered off into like the red pill world where okay, they have these, yeah. you have these guys who are just like, okay, you know what? Like, you know, f- you know, fuck society. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be better than that. And to be honest, parts of it is better because they focus more on 
let's say working out and becoming like an alpha male, like genuine yeah, alpha going male. their own way. Yeah. Like men go their own way, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem with that is when people take it too extreme, it's also terrible. Like the men going their own way movement is, is so stupid and extreme where they're basically like, okay, we don't need women at, at all anymore. Let's like, you know, fuck women. Like everything's, you know, uh, everything's bad about them. Society is unfair. And a lot of aspects of it is true, right? Like, you know, the, the fact that if you get a divorce, you know, the woman automatically gets the kids in most cases. Like, that's not fair, right? And nobody really talks about that. But so I'm, I'm kind of glad that somebody's out there trying to defend it, you know, because, you know, things like that should be more fair for, for both, you know, for, for both parties. But at the same time, and, you know, honestly, like financially, it's really, really bad, especially in California, but a lot of the U.S., for men, when you get a divorce, you know, we've all personally known people who've gotten so screwed. My, my cousin, even like he, his, his ex-wife, I guess, just like she cheated on him and she, you know, and she basically took everything. And that's like, how, like, how is that fair? But that's just the way things are. I've had friends who, you know, they're still paying uh, alimony every month, even though they got divorced like eight years ago. And the woman's now living with a different guy and she just refuses to get married because then she'll stop getting that money. So there's, there's a lot of things that are unfair. And I think it's, it's probably good for people out there to you know, fight to change that. But at the same time, I think it's stupid and extreme when we, like, when we decide, okay, you know what? We're going to go our own way. We're not going to date at all anymore. We're not going to be part of go to extreme. Yeah. So that's, that's on the very, very far side. That's extreme. But like what you said, I think there definitely is a balance. And I think that there are definitely some kernels of truth to like some of the things that they say, but I definitely do agree with you that some people can take it way too far. So instead of just us complaining about it, I, I really want to give people some kind of like practical advice yeah. from everything that I've learned. So the good things that I've got out of those, those few years in that, that, you know, and that community is first is being able to approach somebody and you don't, yeah, like it's nice that there were these boot camps where in three days you could have somebody go, you know, basically force you to talk to 80 random girls. And I wish that kind of still existed, but not in the, in a sleazy way, but just like out of confidence, I guess other ways you can do it is to get a sales job and just be able to be forced to go up and approach random people and talk to random people. You know, or just make it your own mission. Just say like, I'm not going to try to get anything out of these people, but I'm just going to force myself every weekend for the next four weekends to talk to 10 strangers or something. It is helpful to have like a coach kind of push you to do it because it's really hard to do yourself. But that was a very, very valuable skill. Now I can go up and talk to anybody. The second thing is understanding kind of being able to read body language, read what someone's interested in. And the bad thing about it is now I'm hypersensitive to it where sometimes like I, I see a situation where I'm like, no, I shouldn't talk to them because it would, it, there's a potential of it being awkward or way prematurely, you know, sensing that it's like uncomfortable and just like not talking. Right. I think as long as you are talking to someone from a genuine, authentic place, you know, whether it's you want to date them or you just want to talk to them, or even if you want to sell them something, just be okay with it. You know, if they want to, you know, if they want to walk away with the conversation, give them the opportunity to, but don't assume that you're bothering someone like prematurely. Yeah. Being authentic. I think that's so important. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree, but I think it's really hard for people to even be authentic because they don't know how to do it. So many, especially so many, Asian guys, we grew up 
being scared to to open up and be ourselves. Yeah. I think the way to do it is first start with like, I don't know, like I guess start with your friends and family. Just just write them a letter, even just just you know being being really authentic. Just saying, hey, uh, these are the things I appreciate about you. Thank you so much for doing these things for me. You know, and then th- these are the things that sometimes you know I wish would be different. You know, and just even writing it as a letter. And this is something I did with my parents and my sister when I was doing a ten day silent meditation in Thailand. I wrote them a letter first saying, dad, you know, mom, dad, I appreciate you raising me, feeding me, doing all this, kind of listed all the things. And then I wrote a couple of things saying like, even though I know that you love me and I know it's not part of your culture to say it, it would be nice to hear just once. And that was a really big pivotal moment for me just to hear my dad finally, after like 20 something years say, and it was really awkward, but he was like, uh, he's like, oh, by the way, I love you. And it was in Chinese too, which is even more awkward, but yeah, I think that's hard. I think especially for Asian fathers and sons because, well, maybe it was just the case for me, but my my dad, like he didn't show a lot of emotion, you know? So like me just like saying something like that is like very hard, like being like, dad, like I love you, like thank you. You know, yeah. it's extremely hard. Well, it's crazy. I never said I love you to anybody for like 20 something years. Like not, like n- not a girl dated, not a friend, not anybody because i thought it was such a big thing and now finally like i've broken free of that you know like i can say like chris i love you thank you thank you for you know what you do thank you for this podcast and i can i can genuinely mean it i think that's a big kind of step for a lot of people is you know for people listening this is a, a challenge i want you to tell someone today that you love them you know whether it's a friend or a family member or your girlfriend or whatever it is just ex- express it and you'll in the beginning it feels a bit awkward but after you get used to it you're like you know what it feels nice, you know, it makes their day, creates a, a deeper bond. Why wouldn't you, you know? Yeah, for sure. So everyone listening, love you guys. I really love this community. I love that we're supporting each other. Dude, I love that. Okay, how about some tips for success? I mean, you've had your podcast. How long have you been running your podcast? Oh man, way too long, three or four years now. And But to be okay. honest, it's not very financially successful. <laughs> okay, no, like, but I'm not talking about success-wise. Yeah. I'm not talking about like monetary-wise, okay. but you have interviewed so many like entrepreneurs, people like living their dream life, gotten their shit done. Mm-hmm. So like, what are some like tips for success that you can give to like the younger guys? Now that you've interviewed all these people, you've had success yourself, you've traveled the world, done like everything. What kind of advice can you give? The, the best advice is every, almost everything works, right? It doesn't mean that you should do everything. You should probably just focus on one thing at a time. You should definitely just focus on one thing at a time. But just know that even though you can Google anything and have a bunch of negative reasons why you shouldn't do something, pretty much everything works. You know, whether it's Amazon or book publishing or courses or freelancing or programming or apps or dropshipping or selling on Etsy or whatever it is, pretty much everything works. There's a way to do it. It doesn't mean that that's the best use of your skills or your time. But as long as someone has done it successfully, you could probably do it too. What I would recommend is spend two weeks maximum just looking at all the different things you could do. Don't look at the downsides yet. Just look at the upsides of it. Look at the potential of it. And then ask yourself, like, what, what is something that I would actually be excited to, to either like, learn more about or to do? And be aware of the potential downsides, but don't let it hold you back. Like every single thing in the world, you know, like there's a million reasons why you shouldn't get into sell things on Amazon. There's a million things why you shouldn't drop ship. There's a million reasons why you shouldn't learn to program. 
But there's also a billion reasons why you should. So don't get hung up on the negativity, especially from like random dudes on forums, on Facebook groups that haven't done it themselves. Like just fucking ignore them. Like, you know, things come up and, and nothing's easy. Like if everything was easy, everyone would be everyone would be a millionaire. But the fact is, there's as long as there's a way around it and the end result is worth it, just do it. Yeah. And Johnny, I think that's such great advice, you know, and then also about regarding the negativity, there's going to be negativity for every single thing out there. And like what you said, like if you listen to the negativity, you're not going to do anything. And actually as someone in e-commerce, you know, that's someone that started like a drop shipping like website. I like that people hate on that kind of thing because it stops other people from doing it. I want less competition. So like when I see that, I'm like, oh yeah, like I like <laughs> that people are doing I like that people are saying that so that more people don't go in. But everything will work. There's a niche for every single thing. Whatever way that there is to make money, like you can make money. Man, I used to get so annoyed at people like you where I was like, man. How come like none of the successful people are speaking up, like responding to these people saying like, no, it works. And I, I was literally, I felt like I was the only one like saying like, no, dropshipping works. If all these negative people are saying it doesn't, I'm like, I know for sure there are people who are doing it that are successful. Like where the fuck are they? But I, I also understand from your point of view, you're like, what benefit do I have telling exactly. them it works? Exactly, exactly. So like whenever I saw comments like that, I would think, yes. Like I'll yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I hope more and more people say that. <laughs> to be honest, for a like, there's been a lot of kind of uh, crossroads in my life where I I was like, should I share this or not? When I first got into dropshipping, I could have, I you know, I had a really like easy way to corner the market because there was no one really doing it at the time. This was 2013. I could have just shut the fuck up and opened a bunch of stores and a bunch of niches and made a ton of money. But I was like, ah, no, I really want to share this. Like I, it's finally, I found something that, that I can do from Thailand that makes the same amount of money that I was making back in the U S working a corporate job. But now I can do this from fucking Chiang Mai, you know? And this is something pretty straightforward. It's, you know, relatively easy to learn and really thinking, should I share this or not? And by sharing it, increased competition, it made it harder to find niches it gave me a lot of backlash from people talking shit saying like, Oh, Johnny's, you know, like promoting this e-commerce thing. That's complete bullshit. And I had so much negativity from it, but at the same time, what it did is open so many other doors to other things. And I realized I can still start e-commerce stores myself. I just can't do it like the easy, I can't pick like the low hanging fruit anymore. I just have to be better than everyone else. So even today, I still have stores that, that do well, that do like you know, more than 15,000 in sales a month. So I know it's still possible, but I also know it's way fucking harder now because oh yeah, definitely, it's, it's more popular. Yeah, for sure. So like one more thing to add is, uh, you know, like courses, people hate on courses all the time. They're like, oh, why would you ever take a course? Why would you ever pay for a course? You can find that information for free online. Courses are the biggest shortcut ever. You know, so like instead of thinking about the price that you're paying, think about the value. Like let's say if a course is $1,000, but you end up making $10,000, $20,000, it gives you $5,000 per month. Think about that rather than that upfront cost. And yeah, you can find it for free, but the step-by-step of a course is so, so key. You yeah. Know, that is the biggest shortcut. A hundred percent. Especially because when you join a course, you normally, 
you get access to other people who have also paid a thousand dollars to join the course. And these people are serious people. Like whenever I go yeah. to the annual dropship conference, like that Anton puts on, these are people who not only spent you know a thousand dollars on his course, but they also spent a thousand dollars going to Prague or going to Thailand or going to Bali or you know or Hawaii to go to this conference. I would say a hundred percent of the people that I meet at these conferences are driven they're like they're ambitious most of them are already successful most of them are like you they don't really post online about their success because they don't have a reason to but they're you know stay-at-home mom that's making five thousand dollars a month from the dropshipping store but they like never post about it and i love meeting these people in person i think that's another big hack and, and takeaway is don't listen to the people that have time to write youtube comments or hang out on reddit or in facebook groups and just talk shit about why something doesn't work Find the source of people actually doing it and then ask them. Yeah, I know there's a lot of marketing hype out there, right? There's some people who create courses that have never done it themselves and don't know shit. But there's also a lot of genuine people who are good teachers, you know? And that's why I promote Anton's course so hard is because I know it works. I've done it. I met hundreds of people who have done it. I know it works. I know it's fucking expensive. And I know that maybe 90% of people that buy it would never even watch the videos. But that's not... I have no control over that, you know? Like the only thing I have control of is promoting or referring someone to something that actually genuinely works where they have a fighting chance to be successful. And then it's up to them if they actually do it or not. Yeah. Awesome, man. Johnny, where can people find out more about you? The best place is johnnyfd.com. It's my blog. I also have a uh, podcast, both Travel Like a Boss podcast and Invest Like a Boss podcast. But definitely, I mean, you know, and you know, you can find me on social media, but definitely johnnyft.com is the best way. Cool, man. Johnny, thank you so much for coming on. Dude, it's been so fun. I really hope that, that all the badass Asian dudes got a lot out of this podcast. I'm hanging out in the group all the time, but I really want everyone to know that I genuinely care about your struggles. I know everyone can succeed. If I can leave you guys with any kind of piece of information is transcendence. There's only two ways to kind of help the Asian male or Asian American or Asian whatever movement. One is to like change everything from the, from the inside, you know, like become a, a Hollywood producer and, and create, you know, more badass movies like uh, crazy rich Asians or, you know, uh, not young and dangerous, but like whatever, whatever they are, there's not that many of them. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't been another one for like 15 years i can't remember the name of it good luck tomorrow like yeah you could do that right you can go and change it from the beginning from the bottom and i encourage those people you know i support them you know i i took my parents to watch a movie I, you know i watched the movie three times in theaters just to support right but the other way is to transcend the stereotypes so instead of trying to fight it just be better like just just become don't you know portray the, the negative stereotypes. Don't be the geeky, wimpy dude that is shy and scared and, you know, like let, let people walk over you. Become so great that nobody can put you down. I think that's a huge reason why I learned Muay Thai and how to fight. And I, you know, I did, you know, professional uh, competition and sparring. You know, that's why I learned jiu-jitsu. That's why I started traveling and I started making a lot of money is so nobody can put me down. And I now I know that if someone tries to talk shit to me, I don't have to let it hurt my ego because I know that whatever they're saying can't hurt me because I'm better than that. You know, like I know not that I can, you know, kick anyone's ass, but I know I can defend myself 
defend my love, like my my loved ones, defend my family if that ever happened. Right. I, I know that I can I can go anywhere, walk anywhere, and not have to be scared. I know that like I have enough money and to be able to support myself and to be able to actually support my parents. You know, the best thing that I ever did and the best the thing that made my parents the most proud and most comfortable with me traveling full-time is when I started paying the property tax. And then when I started sending my mom a thousand dollars a month, and I've been doing this for two and a half, almost three years now. And now they see me as a man. They don't see me as, you know, they're a child anymore. And I think that should, you know, could be a goal for everybody in that situation. Love it, Johnny. Johnny, I think what you're doing is super, super inspiring, man. And like I said before, you have inspired me so, so much. And like a lot of the things that I have done, it's because of reading your blog. So just once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I think everyone will really enjoy the show. All right. Thanks for thanks for making this, man. Seriously, I love you guys. Yo, what's going on, guys? Okay, so what do you guys think? That was my talk with Johnny, johnnyfd.com. That was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot, and I hope you learned a lot too. I think his story, I think hearing about his struggles growing up and seeing the kind of person he is now, it's super inspiring, and I hope it inspired you, and you guys take his lessons that he's learned and really use them in your life. So thanks again for listening, guys. Please share, subscribe. Please write a five-star review. I would love that. And also my Facebook group, Badass Asian Dudes, is growing so fast. So if you're interested in doing that, then go ahead and join. All right, guys. See you guys next week.